So you can get your worship guides out. You can follow along. Um, let me just say, I'm sitting here because instead of getting at, you know, preaching up in your grill like I normally do, um, getting up in your buffer zone, um, because this is less a message. This is more a conversation that I want to have with you. I don't claim to have this all figured out. Um, we're in the series called You Asked For It. We surveyed you, asked you some questions, uh, kind of following Jesus' model. Jesus would be asked questions, then he would answer them in the scriptures. And so we're kind of doing the same thing here. One of the questions you asked, thanks a lot, is what about today's sexuality? What about sexuality in today's culture was kind of your question. So, so we're going to go there, okay? Is everybody all right with that? Uh, and and, and um, hopefully we'll get something out of this that can help. So let's pray. Can we do that? <laughs> this is more for me than you, so praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> Sweet God Almighty. Jesus, I ask that um, sincere, sincerely that you don't leave. We feel your presence here from worship. The word says you inhabit the praises of your people. And so just stay. May I not say anything that causes you not to stay here during this time. And I pray that we can have uh, a dialogue and that we can open up our hearts and ears, all of us, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, wherever we're at in our sexual orientation, wherever we're at in our belief system, to the Holy Spirit to speak louder even than words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, listen, when, um, when it comes to our world, specifically the Western culture, uh, just a couple little opening thoughts is that we, in the, especially in the Western civilization, we are, we are primarily a Christian uh, nation, uh, numerically. Um, it's huge, and 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 but we're even though we're primarily a Christian nation, we're not necessarily the primary influence in our nation. There's a disconnect there. So we have the we have the mass and the numbers, but we don't have the influence. Contrast that with get, we get right into it: the the the, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender uh, community, uh, which makes up two percent of that population of of, of America. That particular community speaks very loudly and has tremendous influence on our culture, on politics, on me the mainstream media, all those kind of things. And so uh, what's, what's interesting, and I'm going to speak more to the church uh, first, what, what's kind of what's up with that? What's up with the Christian community being as sizable and massive as it is, and yet not necessarily the primary influence? And I think... We've lost our influence because we've lost our integrity. I think integrity and influence are inextricably linked one to the, to the other. And I think currently within the church of Jesus Christ, we have, we have like kissing Judases. We basically have people that are loosely connected to Jesus, but in some respects, in some ways, we betrayed him with a different a different gospel, in particular, a silent gospel. We're quiet because we don't know how to communicate good news. And so we don't communicate anything, which ends up being bad news. When, when I look back at my own Christian experience, which is, um, you know, since I was a young boy, I was raised in the church, practically born in the church. Uh, I slept through revivals in the church, um, just to give you an idea of my history. But I, I never thought I'd be in a, a, a place culturally where in the church 
outside the church, we would come to a place where, and, and, and this is a large percentage, this we're talking like almost 77% of the Christian community in America today believe there might be more than one way to God. Uh, we, ha we, have, we have, I never thought there'd be a day where there wasn't, you know, we wouldn't subscribe to John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Like, I, I just always thought that would always be the way it is. But now, now there, that's just a way to God, even amongst Christians. I never thought that I would see a day when uh, marriage would be redefined, that we would get away from, uh, you know, Genesis and also the New Testament, which references that just, just one man, one woman come together. This was God's intent and his design, and, and, and yet it would be slowly but systematically accepted by the church to see it, it redefined and, again, remain sometimes silent about some of these issues. So, so if it's true that influence and integrity are inextricably linked, how do we, how do we uh, restore our influence? How do we get back our integrity? And I think uh, that we need to learn some things. Like there's an um, uneducated population within the church. I, 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 have, I have fallen prey to that, even as your pastor, where there's just like, you know, we kind of coast for a while. And we're not necessarily staying up with the changing times. There's a scripture in, in the Old Testament that talks about the sons of Issachar knew how to discern the times. Sometimes we don't have spiritual sons and daughters in our current times that are up to speed on how to discern it. And what we need is this is a big word, and, and I'm going to introduce some things later that I learned from other uh, people who do this, but we need like a, what's called apologetics. We need to learn how to... Uh, Share our faith. And, 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 and I think sometimes apologetics is understood as just knowing what we believe. But I don't, I don't think that's an accurate or comprehensive response. I think we need to know what we believe, in whom we believe, and how to share what we believe in concert with each other. They are, they are, they are cohesive. And, and, and so a lot of times apologists are really good at giving their points but they're not making a difference. A lot of times, because we don't have a relationship with God, the relationship gives you the sensitivity with God, gives you the sensitivity with people God loves who are not like him, and the conviction to know how to administer truth and in the process share our faith appropriately. So we learn that approach is, is very important with uh, what we say. It's not, it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Is everybody tracking with me? So I think as a church, we, we, we got to get with it. I think there's a lazy mind in the church. We don't have the mind of Christ. Secondly, and I'm kind of piggybacking on last week. How many were here last week? Raise your hand if you were here. Okay. So last week, if you didn't get last week's message and you consider yourself, you know, kind of a frequent flyer or family of this church, you, you, you need to get last week. Because I talk about spiritual warfare. And I do think that is a critical element to what is happening in our society today and some of the cultural shifts where people are moving their uh, beliefs to their behavior instead of their behavior to their beliefs. There is massive like, like shifts in the platelets of our faith where, where it's not happening to, to belief. It's, it's more happening to, uh, behavior to belief. Excuse me, uh, belief to behavior. Is everybody... There. So how do we combat this? Well, it's not just going to be knowing what you believe, not just going to be being able to explain it right and having the right approach. You're also going to need the Holy Spirit to help you know how to handle all these new scenarios that you can't even see in the Bible. Like 
There's stuff like, I can't even make this stuff up, some of the stuff that's happening, and I don't know what to do. And people say, where is it in the Bible? I don't know. That's why the Holy Spirit was left behind to help us with these situations. And so we, in, in every phase and age of history, there are, there's a spirit over the age. There's a spirit over that age. In every, in every uh, age, there are, there are hierarchies of spirits. We talked about this last week, rulers and principalities and powers. And so we need to be able to address things a lot of times as Christians. And again, if you're new and you're just like, what? Uh, get last week. I'm sorry I can't catch you up. But, but there's a spiritual element to all of this. And, and so the Bible tells us all over and over, it's not by might, it's nor by power, but it's by what? My spirit, says the Lord. So we have to learn how to deal with the spirits of the age and I think we have to rely on and be influenced by and only controlled by the Holy Spirit. The only thing that should control us is the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to answer some questions, but I'm probably going to leave you with more questions because this is a dialogue, okay? So, and, and, and I'm going to say some things that some of you aren't going to agree with. And, and I, I think I can live with that. I don't like it, but I think I can live with that uh, uh, because in our advanced modern thinking, Modernity, this, this ever-changing evolution of thought. I mean, it's happening so fast. Uh, there's no way to always be in agreement the whole time. And so um, I just want you to rem- remember, you asked for this, okay? So, all right, so what about today's sexuality? I want to give you three kind of critical observations, okay? And I, I was going to call them lenses, and I might switch back and forth because of that. But first, I'm going to start, before I give you these three lenses or observations, I'm going I'm to share a story. If you want the first one, it's called sociology, okay? Soci- sociological problem, the sociological issue. Um, but here's a story, and this is a personal story. My wife and I, um, when we moved from one location to another in the same town, we, we, we live in town. This is, our, this is our home. We've rooted here um, about 15 years ago. And um, we bought a house and then we, we wanted to, you know, get to know our neighbors. And, and um, what was interesting was all of our neighbors in three homes that surrounded us, they were all uh, homosexual couples. And so some of you are like, like, okay, whatever. And some of you are like, whoa, that must have been interesting. It depends on your, your vantage point. And so I, I'm a spirit-empowered, um, you know, Bible-thumping, blood-bought, blood-washed, born-again Christian pastor and at first, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, God, what are you doing, you know? And, and if I was completely honest, I was kind of like, how is this going to work? You know, like, how do I do this? Do I withdraw, kind of like, you know, bundle up, get in the basement, never come out? Or do I engage, you know? And how do I do that? And how do I do that with my family of four? And, and are they, you know, how, how do I hold true to and stand firm in our faith, but at the same time live and and engage and love people who don't believe and think like us. And how do I do that with my family? It was, it was an interesting um, situation. Skipping ahead, one day, um, we were just Stacy and Derek in the neighborhood. I wasn't PD or Pastor Derek or anything like that. Um, and, and one day, uh, I'm mowing my lawn. My neighbor's mowing his lawn. He stops. And he's like, hey, hey, hey. He's waving me down, and I shut the lawnmower off. And he goes, so, Pastor Derek... And I'm like, oh, no. And, and, and I had this, like, immediate, like, ah, thing come over me. Like, he's going to go there. He's going to go there. 
Mayday, mayday, hyperspace, hyperspace. Asteroid, asteroids coming. And, and, and I can't get out. And, and, and in the same moment, I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, help me. And this is the truth. This is the truth. And this, it's helped me so many times, so many situations. I'm going to give you something that's kind of an opening question. Right in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit dropped a nugget. And, and basically, I said, hey, I said, I, before, Nick, before you ask me that question, and I think I know where you're going. I said, can we agree to disagree and still be friends? Because I like you and I want to be friends. And he was like this. By the way, it seemed like eternity. <laughs> and then over our fence line, as if it was a spiritual line of demarcation, he said, sure, never mind. And we shook hands. And in that moment, I was able to stand firm in my convictions and in my faith, but at the same time, love my neighbor as myself. And I want you to understand, I'm going to give you some stuff that might help and might, might hurt, I don't know. But you need the Holy Spirit to help you live well, love well, and still hold fast the profession of your faith in a culture that is shifting as fast as ever. Is everybody tracking with me? So can we agree to disagree and still be friends is a thought that kind of leads me into this conversation that I'd like to have with you. Because I think there are three observations I see in culture today. First one is sociological, okay? In other words, what kind of culture are we in right now? Romans 12, 18 is a passage that, a challenging passage. Romans 12, 18, it says, it's this big two-letter word on the front end of the verse. It says, if it be possible... As much as lieth in you, or as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. So our job as a Christian is to see conflict is an assignment, not an accident. Conflict is our responsibility to help navigate. We're supposed to engage with people who don't think like us and learn how to maintain peace in the process while holding fast what we believe. Is everybody tracking? And so that's a challenge. In fact, sometimes people ask me questions, they'll, they'll say something like, Petey, how do you respond to, to, to today's world where uh, pre-believers, as I like to say, I don't call them non-believers, by the way, I just want to give a little language tweak, pre-believers, this is why I say that, because if they knew what you knew and you could present it the right way, they'd want what you have. Everybody would want eternal life through Jesus Christ if we did a good job modeling it for everybody and messaging it the right way. That's just a sidebar, and I could preach on that one all day long. But anyway, how, how do you um, respond to non-believers who say, accuse Christians, let's say, of being hateful to people who support lifestyles that are not in accordance or in contradiction with our biblical foundations? Is everybody tracking with the question? In other words, we're getting this accusation, but yet we're just trying to be true to what we believe. Like, what, what do you do with that? Well, we need wisdom. Like a lot of wisdom. But before we can answer that question, I think we have to determine the kind of culture that we're currently in. And there's three cultures, okay? So write this down. This is, little, this is where it gets a little egg-heady. You're going to learn some stuff. Everybody put your thinking caps on. Do not shut down. Stay with me. The first one is a theonomous culture. Theo, God, onomous, law. God, in a theonomous culture, determines, dictates the law, the lifestyle, the 
the, the moral compass of our life comes from, it's kind of God-ordained or it begins with him. God is so embedded in the hearts of men, hearts of people, that we all uh, emotively kind of think the same way about things. Just, it, it's a culture thing. We're all there. We're all kind of, all, there's like a natural response, a natural law. In fact, the early framers of our country uh, basically said, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's kind of like, just like innate. But how many know we're not, we're not there right now as a culture? Like, we, we don't have a moral culture. We have an uh, we don't, let me take it up a notch. We don't even have an immoral culture. We have an amoral culture. A without, without morals. People don't even know right from wrong. What do you mean I can't have sex before marriage? What? Where'd that come from? Like, people say that to me here in church. You might think that. That, that's, that's, that shows that we're not in a theonomous culture. Okay? Now, some, some cultures still retain some of these theonomous uh, roots that if you were to look at the Indian culture or sometimes the Asian culture. The, when I was uh, uh, the pastor and principal of our Christian school just across the street here, um, I can remember we'd have uh, the Asian community come in with their children to enroll in the school, and we'd always have an admission process. And in the admission process, one of the pieces was to try to get on the same page with the parent as to how we are going, the method of discipline with children because they're going to need training. The Bible says train a child up in the way should they go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. But we want to be on the same page with parents, and that was kind of a little tricky conversation. And I would ask, I would ask the Asian community, what is your mode of discipline? What's your methodology with, with how you discipline your kids? And they look at me like, what do you mean? We don't have one. That was kind of the initial response. Basically, what they were saying to me was, our kids just do what we tell them. Like, it's innate. They respect, they'll respect you. They're going to respect the teachers. It's just not even, because it was, it was kind of a theonomous thing. It was just, it was self-evident. Is everybody tracking with me? That's an example. I'm just trying to give you an illustration of what that looks like. The next culture is a heteronomous culture. That means others' law. It basically means there's a few people who dictate or determine the law for the masses, for the many. And, and, and this is all related to how we view kind of, let's just say, absolutes in the world today. The mainstream culture is dictated by a few leaders at the top for everybody else. In a secular sense, Marxism would be like this, or Islam would be like this. Uh, if you were in Saudi Arabia or, or, or Iran, which are considered, by their own definition, uh, is, Islamic countries, the, the Ayatollahs, for example, would say, this is who you can be with. This is who you can't be with. This is who you can be seen with. This is who you can't be seen with. This is what you can eat. This is what you can't eat. This is how you got to wash your hands and wash your feet before you worship. Everything is determined by a few for everybody else. Is everybody tracking with me? Theonomous and heteronomous. We're, we're not either one of those today in America. Our culture is an autonomous culture. Autonomous. Auto self, self-law. Self determines and dictates um, I am my own moral compass. I am my own morality uh, barometer for my life. Each person determines their own morals and lifestyle and prerogatives. And so this, this is our current cultural condition is we have an autonomous culture. As a result, we have a dilemma in our society today. Because in, in an autonomous culture... What happens when your autonomous view meets my autonomous view? What happens? In an autonomous culture, the problem now is if I'm going to give someone my answer to what I believe about sexuality, in my case, according to God's word, 
are you going to give me the privilege of giving my answer to you? But when I do, are you, uh, if you don't like it, going to switch from an autonomous definition of culture to a heteronymous culture and try to dictate back to me what I can and cannot believe, and sometimes even with persecution? That is our current dilemma, sociological dilemma within our culture today. Because autonomous meets autonomous, that autocracy between each person creates conflict with one another. This is our current sociological dilemma. Is everybody tracking with me? It's like the book of Judges. If you know the book of Judges, the latter part of the book, it basically says what happens is chaos when every man seems to do what's right in their own eyes. Chaos, conflict. Etc. Now, underneath that sociological problem, I think there's a real problem, and I've already mentioned, and that's a spiritual problem, the spirit of the age. And so I think we need the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, what it says there is really our, our reminder as people of faith. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel and displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, the God of this age is underneath that sociological dilemma, and he's trying to do this. They can't see. They can't see. They can't see. So we need the Holy Spirit to remove the blinders. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay, so that's the first lens. Is everybody with me so far? Second lens is a theological lens. This is what we believe now, it's amazing this has to be stated, but I think it does, but I'm going to do it briefly. I put certain scriptures in your worship guide that I'm not going to read, but you can read them on your own. But basically, a couple of them are related to sexuality. A couple of them are related to race, and I'll explain why in just a minute. But I wanted you to see there, there's, there's dozens and dozens of texts to support uh, the theological position that I'm going to share with you in just a second. But many people, as I open on this section, many people in our culture have problems with Christians, and it's because generally speaking, uh, this is what happens as it, as it contrasts with sexuality. This is, this is what happens a lot of times. People are like, how come Christians, you know, are, are, are not okay with racism? This is generally speaking. I know there's a minority that's, that speaks loudly and is stupid in this area, but, but in general, Christians clearly are not for and they are against racism. But they discriminate against, let's say, homosexuals. In fact, some people have presented that kind of contrast to me in a question like, I, well, here's my issue with you is that, you know, you, you have a problem with racism, but you discriminate against a homosexual. And so my response is, well, well wait a minute. First of all, that's, you're, you're contrasting an ism with an individual. It's kind of interesting. An ideology with an individual, but we won't even get into that. Let's just go to the theology of it for Christians. The theological side of it is simply this. We as Christians believe that discrimination against any ethnicity is wrong because according to God's word, according to scripture, a person's race, skin color is sacred. It's sacred. Now, most people in this room are like, yes, sure, absolutely. Uh, you can't, you can't, you can't separate that. You can't violate a person's ethnicity because that is a sacred gift from God. Christians, for the most part, support that idea. But the same is true with our sexuality. We believe, as Christ follows, that our sexuality is sacred as well. It's a gift from God. So it's not about sin or it's not about skin. It's, it's that which is sacred. So we believe 
Your race is sacred. God predetermined the skin color that you would have, the ethnicity that you would be. He even determined the time and place that you would be alive. And he also determined your sexual identity. Both those things we believe fundamentally as Christians are sacred. And so I find it interesting that our liberal positions, our friends with these liberal positions, they can't tell me why they would treat race as sacred, but they not treat sexuality as sacred. In fact, anything, when you try to separate those, for, for a Christ follower who subscribes to the scriptures, that's sort of an offense because they're really, they're not mutually exclusive. They're the same in that respect. So here's what I believe going forward, and I hope you do too, but marriage as God has given it to us is the most sacred relationship of all except for the vertical one between you and God. And, and, and it's... it's it's the most, it, it, it demonstrates more than any other relationship how love works. See, love in our culture today versus what it should be in the kingdom of, of God, Christianity today, they're, they're different. See, love is so much more than I think our world understands. Love, the English word love, is insufficient to describe its full definition. When you look at love in the Greek language, the original language in which this is described in the scriptures, it actually has four words to describe love. There's four kind of definitions of love. The the, the Greek word agape, uh, phileo, storge, and eros. And basically what these basically means, agape is is God's love toward us. Romans 5.8 said, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. In other words, he gave his life without the, the um, guarantee of reciprocation. It was a commitment. It was an unconditional commitment. It was sacrificial. It was selfless, agape love. Then you have phileo. That's this friendship love, this brotherly love. Jesus, our elder brother, our intercessor, a mediator. That's, that is phileo. Then you have this storge. This is this parental, protective love. The Lord chastens those he loves. And if he didn't, he's treating us like, the Bible says, this is a strong word, but like bastard children, like illegitimate children children. Parental protective love. And then there's eros love, which is romantic love. What culture tries to do is say, there's just romantic love. And if you pull romantic love out of the full definition of what God sees as love, it eradicates what God intended in our lives. And you end up finding a culture that will redefine love because they're only looking at love through one lens of what it is. Does that make sense to everybody out there? So marriage is the only one that pulls all four of these together. And if you take one out, then, then I submit to you, if you take one of them out, if you take agape out, then eros is gone. You really don't have intimacy. You have selfishness as a byproduct. And so romantic love becomes redefined, and culture does all it can to redefine it, where yet, when you look at marriage the way God intended, it's a bride and a groom, and they come together, and they say, I do, to each other, agape, commitment, love. And in the process, they're also saying, I don't, to my natural inclinations, to what my feelings might be the next day, the next month, the next year. It's saying no to all those other things because agape is a part of the marriage definition. Does that make sense? And it holds fast through time and it makes a big difference. And ultimately, we work through things much better because our definition was right in the beginning. So any departure from that sacred relationship, the beauty of that, the way God intended it, is is kind of a biblical offense to a true Christian. So in our society today, we have people that are expressing themselves. 
coming out, and, and, and it's all under the guise of freedom of choice. And I think choice is the, the, spiritual, the most powerful spiritual muscle God gave us. It is more powerful than your quadriceps, your trapezius, and your latissimus dorsi, and your biceps. I could go on if you need me to. Um, it is the most powerful muscle you have. But it can be exercised however you want. Absolutely, it can be. Freedom, choice, uh, and we should cherish it. But you have to understand, and this is the part, God gave you that, but the choice is inextricably bound to consequences. To consequences. And so you cannot separate the two. They are, they are linked one to the other. They are inseparable. And so uh, our, our culture is making certain choices, but is also experiencing certain consequences. And interestingly enough, sometimes we blame God for those consequences. So theologically, uh, this is the Christian position. Sociologically, we have this dilemma. And lastly, let me say, relationally. So relational is the last lens. How do we communicate what we say we believe? Now, Jesus... When it came to what he believed, you can see over and over again through the New Testament, he would lean in to relationships with people who didn't believe like him. I don't see that very much in Christianity today. I think for two reasons. One, we don't know what we believe, in whom we believe, and how to share what we believe. That is your responsibility and my responsibility as a Christian. It's not singularly my responsibility to equip all of you as pastor. You have a responsibility to study the word, to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Everybody has that responsibility. Can I have an amen? Okay? But, but Jesus, when we do that, we should, we should engage, not insulate and isolate ourselves from the world because that insulation and isolation is sending a message. That, that, that uh, kind of that silent Voice, that silent gospel, it's sending a message to the world. We're not supposed to be quiet, but we're not all supposed to come out and whack them over the head with the Bible and tell them how stupid and wrong they are and sinful are. That's not the message either. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus basically said, hey, and, 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 and culture, the religious would look, the church would look at Jesus and say, why is he hanging around with sinners? Because he's like, because that's who I came for. I came for people who didn't think like me, believe like me, know what I know. And I don't look at them the way you're looking at them. I just think they need healing. So I'm coming as a physician to heal the root issue under the sinful behavior. You're focusing on the sin, and I'm looking at the heart of the matter saying, if this got right, this would fix out here. It's always an inside job with Jesus, not an outside job, but the church messes it all up. Oh, I love that point. Amen. People say things like this all the time to me. They say, they say things like, I love everyone. I don't judge anybody. Okay. We're going to go there? Okay. Okay, let's say that's true. Maybe, maybe that's true, but at the same time, the same time, people that are saying that are unwilling, or they would say they're unable, or I would say they're uncaring about an individual's eternity, their freedom, and their purpose, as if you don't have any part to play in that process, in their development. Interestingly enough, like, I don't judge anybody. Yeah, because you just completely disengage from everybody. That's not what we're called to do. The Bible calls us to have the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to help connect people who are disconnected from God. So when you see something you don't like, you see people that are angry at God, people that are angry at Christians, that's an assignment, not an accident. That's God saying, get in the game. They're like, oh, I don't judge anybody. Well, when you get in there, let's see how you do. Because now you're going to have to <laughs> see how easy that is. Because we're supposed to learn how to stand firm in our faith, but love and live well in the world in which we live. And we do that by building 
bridges, not barriers, by building relationships with people. And honestly, that is really hard sometimes. Really hard sometimes. I've used that question that the Holy Spirit gave me more times than I can count. I had a, a, a gay guy in my gym make a pass at me multiple times. He told me I was hot. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> we can agree to agree. <laughs> but he wanted to go there. He wanted to talk about like this whole Christian thing. And he'd seen, you know, he went to church service and he went and saw Joel Osteen in a big meeting. And he's like, are you one of those guys? And I, I don't know what that means. But so anyway, and I, and I, and I told him, I said, can we agree to disagree? Because I, I want to be friends. Not like that, but I want to be friends. <laughs> Happily married. Brother, did you see the ring? I didn't think it would be for you, but it is. Um, but, but, but sometimes we have this dogmatism about us, and it's creating divisions. I want you to see a friend of mine, Zenzo, Pastor Zenzo. Some of you have heard him. He's spoken here before to our team night. And he came from Africa. So in Africa, they have really, this really strong views about kind of uh, the homosexual uh, you know, lesbian community, but God did a work in his heart. So I want you to check this out. Watch this. Hey, this is Zenzo Matoga. I am one of those Christians who in the beginning just really struggled to relate to our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. Because of my upbringing, conservative, being raised in Africa, I honestly just wasn't exposed to our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. So once I had to relate to them, I just struggled. There was this tension. I would sort of feel agitated and irritated around them. And there was such a tension. This was a struggle. I wasn't proud of it. I knew that as a believer, I'm supposed to love people and be kind to people. But there was just such a struggle, such a tension. And I managed to just really shove it in the back burner and just kind of move on with my life. But this was a struggle until it became personal. One day, my wife, my lovely wife, Michelle, came to me and told me that her sister had come out and said that she was lesbian and that she was in love with this young lady and that she wanted to marry this young lady. And so for the first time, we were not just dealing with gay people. This was family. We had to love our, our, our sister, my sister-in-law. We had to deal with this as a family. We had to relate to her and just and go through this. This was real. It became real and personal and I could not run away from it anymore. So I brought it to the Lord in prayer and I'm so grateful and thankful that the Lord gave me a swift breakthrough. All of a sudden God gave me a compassion uh, for the gay and lesbian community. Just God gave me, I was broken. Um, I was just really broken for them. I, God gave me this compassion. I wanted to hug them. I wanted to be kind to them. I, all of a sudden, these feelings of being agitated and irritated around them left me, and I was just filled with compassion. I could pray for them. I, I wanted to believe God for their salvation. I, I wanted them to meet Jesus just like all of us need Jesus. God gave me that breakthrough. Three weeks ago, a lesbian couple walked into our church at Impact Church. We loved on them and we welcomed them like we always do. And something amazing happened that day. They gave their lives to Jesus. I believe that because of our love and care, it opened their hearts up and their hearts were conducive to the gospel and they gave their lives to Jesus. It was amazing. And then the following Sunday, we had a baptism that was scheduled and they asked that they be baptized. 
I was hesitant for a little bit because honestly I think I feared what people would say but my love and compassion for them overwhelmed the fear. I knew that we were going to baptize them and something amazing happened after we baptized them. They called me that Tuesday and said, Pastor, we felt conviction. We were convicted after the baptism that after that baptism they went into separate bedrooms they couldn't sleep in the same room uh, that day that night and uh, they told me pastor we didn't know any better and now that we know better we want to change our lifestyle and we want to divorce and mind you none of us even challenged them about their lifestyle they just felt convicted because of the love of Jesus and because of the gospel wow wow hey listen what would happen? What would happen if the church was more interested in someone's salvation than their sexuality? What would happen if we could make it personal? As soon as it became personal, everything changed. In fact, write this down. There's two things in your notes, basically, that I want to highlight. One is dogmatism leads to division, but personalization creates solution. I want to give you one more here in a row just for time. But what Zenzo said was this. He said, basically, when things become personal, our heart changes. Our heart changes. See, he didn't even have to say anything. Do you know, and, and let's just get outside of the lesbian community, the homosexual community, the transgender community. Let's just talk about people who are cohabitating. Cohabitation is outside of God's will, according to Scripture. Look at how comfortable we are with that as a church today. That's not as, that's not as big a deal. We, we love people. You know, what we do as a church here, and this has happened over couple decades now, is we just, we just teach a better way. This is, God's, this is God's will according to marriage, and this is a better way if we do it his way, and your marriage will work. And we don't judge anybody, and we love them. And we, we do that with people who haven't ever been married but are cohabitating, or people who've been divorced and are cohabitating. We, just, we do that with divorcees. We show grace, we show grace, we show grace. And then the Holy Spirit does the work. And I sat in this seat and then left and people come up to me and say, you know what, God was speaking to me and after you started talking about that from God's word, I, I just think the examples I saw someplace else and the messaging I heard someplace else is not true. This is what God wants and if we do it his way and we want to, would you, would you consider marrying us? Please, nobody come after church because I'm, you know, I've done so many weddings this summer. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I didn't have to do anything. It's the same thing. It's the same thing so if we, if we could just see, see it in a more personal way, there's a huge effect that that has. We had, we had a lesbian couple uh, that was um, coming to our church about four years ago, and, um, and uh, she, there, she, one, one, of, one of them is in our church um, this whole time, four years straight, and, and she's just absolutely beautiful person. I actually talked to her about this message before uh, I, I would... I would speak it because I like to hear what she would think and what would go through her mind and all that kind of stuff. And, but I remember when she came here four years, she was in a lesbian relationship. She was living with somebody. She, they had a house together. Uh, they'd been together for many, many years. They had dogs together, you know, all kinds of things uh, intertwined. And they came and they loved the church. And by the way, the church did a great job receiving them and our church does that well. And, and at some point I was going to talk about like a message like this in front of everybody because our church just, you know, is known for that. And and I, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, before you have what could be for them a public confrontation, why don't you have a private conversation? And so I set up meetings with both of them. I said, hey, can I talk to you? I want to tell you some things and ask you some questions and hear your story. Man, was that a powerful encounter. And, and in one case, 
it didn't go quite the way I wanted it to. And I remember, if I'm honest, one of the, one of the, the, the partnership broke up. And, and one of the partners, um, I still love her. Uh, and if she's listening, I, I wish she were still here. But we, we divided over basically this, you know, is we, she couldn't agree to disagree and still be in relationship. And I did everything I could. But I was able to maintain my integrity and, and impact or have influence. Now, her partner had an encounter with God through this local church. And ultimately, uh, she felt God draw her to break it off with her partner. And since then, uh, she has been what she would consider received freedom in her heart. She never really wanted to be this way. There were certain things that happened when we heard her story and she told me her story. We were able to unpack those, navigate those. And she feels like she is free now and that her true identity is a heterosexual identity. And she's had several heterosexual relationships since then. One guy actually proposed to her and I was like, whoa, 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 hello, hello, slow down. She was going too fast for me. But uh, it's funnier than you know. But anyway, I believe we should engage in, in relationship with people. So here's another point. Write this down. If your points push people away from the gospel, then your points are pointless. Your points are pointless. I, I think we let the, the Holy Spirit point things out. Can I have an amen out there? I think most Christians are very uncomfortable being distributors of grace but because we're more afraid of breaking rules than building bridges with people. Listen, church. Build bridges with people. Um, a pastor friend of mine, his name is Anthony Miles. He's preached here before. He's kind of like a big brother to me, only because he's older, if you're listening. And uh, you are older. Um, and he had, a, he had a gay couple come into his church. Uh, they loved it. People embraced them, much like they would, would happen here. Uh, they gave their life to Jesus. And then they wanted to get baptized. And when they wanted to get baptized, something about that line, they thought, I need to talk to a pastor. And so they talked to Pastor Anthony, and they asked him, you know, we... Will, you, will we be accepted, first of all, in this church, and will we be allowed to get baptized? And it's interesting that that has to be a major conversation in churches today. And long story short, whether you agree with it or not, they decided to baptize this, this, this couple. And one of them had gone through an uh, identity change. And after the baptism, the Holy Spirit began to work on both of their hearts and much like what Zenzo shared, this one person who had had an identity change said this. He basically said, um, the reason I did this was because it was the place I could find acceptance. Now I experience the acceptance that I found here in God and in the local church. But I had a, an irreversible surgery, and I'm wondering if the church will still accept me if I can't go back. Well, let's let that sit for a second. In other words, we need to not look at skin. Whoop. We need to, hello, we need to not, wow, that just went off, derailed. Anybody got a, you know how to pop that in? Hello. Yeah, give me that. That's great. You got that? Can you get me? Good. We, I think we need to be able to um, connect with people in spite of what we see. In spite of even their identity, we, uh, we need to be connecting with a soul. Can I have an amen? The soul is the consideration. So I can't do all these today for the sake of time, but I think to become relational, we got to be about love and not hate. We can't say things like as Christians, well, I love 
you know, the sinner, I hate the sin. I'm sorry, but the homosexual community says, well, what I do is who I am, so that's offensive. We need to understand the culture and understand the community that we're trying to reach because I think real love will get through some of those barriers and some of those walls. I think we need to be known more for what we're for than what we're against. As a church, I think a lot of churches sometimes like, this is what we're against, this is what we're against, this is what we're against. Listen, I, I want to be for transformation. I want to be for helping people connect with God and let God do the work. I'm not saying once in a while we don't need to make a tough stand. We will. I'm not going to back down on the marriage definition. I'm just going to tell you that as a pastor right now. God settled that. He said it. That settles it for me, and, and that's how it is. But I'm going to work hard on trying to explain it. I'm going to work hard on trying to build bridges about it. Amen? I think we need to focus on individuals, in order to build relationship, we focus on individuals, not ideologies. We're so focused on our position that we've missed the person that's right in front of our face. Jesus was so good at connecting with a person while still holding fast what he believed. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery, one of the best stories of all time. Uh, he dealt with the religious who wanted to stone her. According to law, she should have died. She was literally getting ready to get killed. And he said, hey, if any of you guys don't have sin, why don't you throw the first rock? They're all gone. It's just him and the woman, and he says to the woman, first message, which should be the church's first message, is anybody judging you? She says, no, Lord. He says, neither do I. See, I think the church has got it backwards. Our first message is stop doing what you're doing. That's wrong. I disagree. I'm not for that. I'm against that. The first message is, is anybody judging you? Well, I'm not going to. But that doesn't mean that we forsake the conversations that need to happen as a result of that. See, I believe he gained equity into her heart because he showed her grace when she came to the realization, I almost died. You saved me. You see, and by the way, all of us were on death row if it wasn't for Jesus eternally. All of us didn't deserve grace. Every single person in this room was a sinner saved by grace. No exceptions, according to God's word. And he showed us grace first, and then he said, hey, son, daughter, why don't you stop doing that? And that's what he said to this woman. I think the church has to get a lot better at doing that because ministry is messy. And I have to show you this next, this next story from Pastor Emmy because there's a story behind every story. If you'll get into that with them, you'll see there's a story. Listen to my friend, Pastor Emmy, and what happened to him because I think this will really change your life. I had this young lady um, back in the days when we first launched the church who was lesbian. She, it was obvious that she was a lesbian. Um, she was adamant that she was a lesbian and she kept coming to the church. She was loving what she was hearing and she was growing closer in her relationship with God, but she never made a decision for Christ. And I really wanted to challenge her to give her life to the Lord so that she can see God move in her life in a deep way. And she wanted to know first if she would just be loved and received by the people who were there, uh, including myself. The more I got to know her, the more I understood her. And the more I understood her, the more I was less likely to judge her. I found out from this one particular person that when she was younger, even though she was a lesbian today, what I found out about her is that when she was younger, she was abducted and kept captive in a basement for about a year and repeatedly raped by some people that were in her life. No one knew that about her. All we knew about her was that she was gay. And so we made, people made so many judgments about her, but they didn't understand anything about her. And I don't know about you, but if I was in her situation, I would probably come out of that situation 
being extremely disgruntled about the opposite sex and extremely disgruntled about men in general. So I want to challenge you. The more you know people, the more um, you are challenged to love them and everything that you're learning about them. Um, that's it. I love you. Bye. <laughs> See, understand. If you seek to understand, you can be understood. See, we want people to understand, but we don't want to, we don't want to understand. I think if you can get into that relationship, you're going to find there's a story underneath that. That's what happened with the girl that came to church here. I found out, oh, this is what happened. And I wish I could unpack it for you, but it's, it's her story and it's private. But, it's, but it's, it was through relationship that walls were broken down and freedom was able to come and change and transformation happened. And I think we need to provide, and this is my, I, I can't do all the points today because of time, but this is my last one, is that to build relationship, I think we, we can't be scared of people's dark secrets. We can't be scared of people's dark secrets. I think a lot of us have secrets too. And, and, and God wants to create an environment or a place where people can say anything and find everything. There needs to be a safety net within the local church where truth and grace coexist in perfect harmony, one with the other. But underneath that is this safety net like, we're, we're here. We got you. We got you. You fall off that. You fall off that, 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 that tight wire. We got you. In fact, we want you to feel like you can fall and you're safe when you do so. But, but what's happened is because, and this is, this is where I think is a challenge to the church, I think the church has done such a bad job where we have to hide. We live behind the fig leaf, as it were. We're, 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 we're back to the garden telling everybody else, this is what marriage is like. But we're in the garden hiding behind fig leaves, not actually being real and transparent and vulnerable. And God's saying, hey, where are you? Where are you, church? And meanwhile, because we can't, because we can't be honest here in the local church, people are coming out out there. I hope you get what I'm saying because it's bigger than what you realize. Because people can't be real and honest here, then we have coming out situations there. And by the way, coming out and being honest are two different things. Coming out out there is this is who I am behavior, but being honest helps us deal with the beliefs and the feelings and the, the difficulties and the darkness. Because if we could be honest and transparent, if we could be vulnerable, we could vulnerability leads to stability in a healthy environment. Risk, yeah, it has a return. To have a return, there is risk but we need that faith-filled environment where people can just be who they really are and work it out in the safety net of relationship, the context of relationship with God and man. But the church, in some respects, is pushing them out. We're not willing to have those conversations and have that dialogue. I know this. I know that some of us are looking at culture and we're like, oh, my gosh. Some of us are like, what's the big deal? There's a whole spectrum. But the Bible tells us where sin abounds and grows and escalates, grace has to escalate and grow even more. So you know, our answer is grace. Grace and more grace. I want to pray for you. This is kind of a final thought. If God's grace isn't good for all people and all sin, then God's grace isn't good for anyone or anybody's sin. And my final takeaway is, will you trust the power of God is at work? Don't just go by what you see. Just because you don't have the right perfect answer, because you can't turn around in the first conversation, don't look at everything as a destination but a journey. This is a process with people in relationship, and God can do some amazing, amazing things. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. And you may be listening online, and you may be in this room just going, I don't know what's going on. But maybe you're here, and I know statistically it's very likely 
Maybe you're here and you're struggling with your identity, your sexual identity, who you are. And you don't feel like the church has been a place of safety. And I just want to say, as pastor and as leader here, I'm sorry for that. And to the extent that this church has not provided a safe place for you to be honest and to be sincere and truthful, I, I commit to you we want to do better. I don't think we'll ever be perfect, but we want to do better. We want to provide that safety. We want to do it in council, in small groups, in conversations. I pray to God you feel like you can just talk to somebody and you can be real and you can be honest. You might be here today and you've messed up with some people who don't think like you, believe like you, maybe even in your own family, just feel by the Holy Spirit a son or a daughter that you've hurt because they went a different direction the way you raised them or what you believe and, 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 and now there's a barrier. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you to tear that barrier down and go back with grace. Go back with grace. Build a bridge. Trust God can do a mighty work that he can point out what you could never point out. He can heal what you could never heal. He can change what you cannot change by yourself. Trust God. Maybe you're here today you've never experienced the grace of Jesus for yourself. For some reason you're here and there's something about the environment it's truth, but, you, but, but, but there's also grace. And, and you, you finally see the balance. Like it's possible to actually have faith and, and, and still love people. And, and I want that in my life. And I don't have that. I don't have that faith. I don't have that confidence. And I just want to say it's, it's through Jesus. Jesus, it's not about good doctrine. Jesus is good doctrine. He's the living embodiment of what we believe. And in order for you to practice what you believe, you have to come to a place where you know Jesus in whom you have believed. And if you want to know Jesus Christ personally, that is available to you right now. And I want to give you that opportunity. If you just say yes by raising your hand, that's me, Pastor. I want to raise my hand and receive Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Is anybody else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am, over there. That's good. Thank you, ma'am, right there. That's awesome. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, sir. Thank you over here. I see your hand. Thank you all the way at the back there. Yes, yes. Thank you for your courage. Before I pray for you, yes, I see your hand. Before I pray for you, every head bowed, every eye closed, there's a connection card you had when you came in. I just want to encourage you, those of you who raised your hand, will you tell us about that? Because we want to take you on a journey that's beyond today, and it would help us tremendously, but more importantly, it would help you if you let us go on a journey with you and let us know you made that decision to say yes to God. Church, would you pray with me? And those that raised your hand, would you pray? Say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it without you. I want to connect personally with you. I received your word today, and it's in my mind, but it's going into my heart. And I pray that I would experience salvation today in Jesus' name. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, quicken to them that you come alive in them and that they're a new person in Christ Jesus, that a a decision is going to lead to a wonderful spiritual journey. May they tell somebody and give it away so they can grow from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.